The Leafs this week, Brent Gunning, no Gord Stellick. He's he's out in the wilderness. We will uh, we'll we'll track him down by the time Gord and I have got you covered on Real Kipper and Born this week. That's tomorrow, but today special guest becoming a more frequent guest on the station, and I love 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 to hear that. Justin Cuthbert joining me for the Leafs this week today. Justin, how you doing, bud? I'm pretty good. I mean, I thought we'd have three games to break down, but we only got one and it was played a few days ago, but uh, excited to talk about Leafs hockey with you and, and what could be ahead, perhaps, we think, we hope, at least. Maybe, hopefully, please, please, please give me <laughs> hockey to talk about. As I said, uh, I'll be doing shows every day this week on the fans. So, yes, I would love there to be more hockey to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, as you mentioned, just the one game this week. Uh, look, we're not we're not going to sit here and run and hide from the obvious, but I think there's plenty to talk about this team outside of, of the games that got postponed this weekend. Of course, nothing in Vancouver last night. Uh, the first trip to Seattle. I know, I know there were a lot of people looking forward to that one. It's always fun when you have an expansion team in the mix. You know, nothing will ever be like going to Vegas for that first time. And there's a there's a knight on the ice, and he's killing a dragon that's made of CGI. Nothing's ever going to top that. But I know a lot of people were, were waiting for that first trip to Seattle. Uh, eventually, it will come. But yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's focus on kind of the season that's been so far and the week that was. As you mentioned, just the one game, uh, a 5-1 thumping of the Oilers in, in Edmonton. I mean... Anytime the Leafs and Oilers meet up this year, it's slightly different because Zach Hyman is usually going to be a, a figure in that conversation. He wasn't in the lineup, but anytime the Leafs and Oilers play, it's Matthews, it's McDavid. Matthews got the better end of it this time. And man, it, it's a fun rivalry between these two teams. But I think in a sport that, you know, there always seems to be one individual rivalry. We've had Ovi and Sid, of course. You know, there have been others before. It feels like that's kind of the one right now, Matthews and McDavid. And it, it, it was fun to see, quite frankly, it was fun for me to see the Leafs go in there and, and thump them 5-1. or five, one. Yeah, I mean, if there's one uh, matchup, I think, if you're going to choose to watch, if, you know, you had to attend one game or you had to just have one circled on the calendar, I think it would be Edmund and Toronto at this point. And I think it is that rivalry rivalry between uh, Matthews and McDavid. But it is different in that there's no, like, animosity between the two. I mean, there were stories about how they were training in Arizona together and all that stuff. I just think they uh, are two players that help bring the best out of each other and Obviously, we saw the best out of Austin Matthews scoring a couple goals in that game and not quite the best out of Connor McDavid. But uh, yeah, I think that is the appointment viewing game, at least north of the border. It's Matthews versus McDavid because these are two of the best players in the league and maybe the best players at what they do best, which is on Matthews side scoring goals and McDavid being probably the most gifted and dynamic offensive force in the game right now. So yeah, maybe it didn't live up to its billing and maybe, you know, this whole road trip hasn't gone exactly as planned, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, you get excited for those games. And in some ways it lived up to it because we saw some pretty special stuff uh, from Austin Matthews. Yeah, and I mean, we nearly saw some special stuff from McDavid. There was that one play in the first where it looked for a second like he was both going to do Morgan Riley dirty again and he was going to have a repeat of his goal against the Rangers going one-on-four at the exact same time. Uh, Campbell gets a pad down, and I mean, you know, all of a sudden it's a completely different conversation. It is kind of a perfect, you know, mix of... When you're trying to sell a rivalry, right, you need, of course, you would love the animosity. That's not going to be there. As you mentioned, these two guys are friends. They train together. It just doesn't seem to be in the nature of, of either guy. 
but there's enough kind of opposite about them. You mentioned the style of play. Obviously, you know, they're both plenty flashy. They just do it in completely different ways. McDavid is breathtaking. The way he skates, the way he flies, he does it in a way no one else can do. But Matthews has a lot of that going on. And then even personality-wise, right? You know, again, they're both hockey players. They're they're more similar than they are different. But Matthews has got that kind of overstated. He loves to have the fashion. He wants to be involved in other things. He's friends with, you know, superstars like Justin Bieber and Connor McDavid. Now, maybe this is maybe this is a factor of of playing at Edmonton and who knows? Maybe if he's a he's a Leaf or he's playing in a, you know, not that Edmonton's a small market, but a sexier market. Maybe it goes a little differently, but it just feels like there's enough to kind of compare and contrast between the two that we're we're going to be doing this it seems like for the entirety of their careers. And I know it definitely helps that it's Edmonton and Toronto too, even though they play like the fact that they only play each other twice a year. I think kind of makes it more of an event as well. Yeah, both belonging to tormented fan bases to a certain <laughs> extent as well. I mean, both of them have history, but both of them are looking for uh, breakthroughs with this current regime. But I think the cool thing about the relationship that they do have is that they both can actually lend or help each other build the skills that they're without. I mean, Connor McDavid is not the most gifted goal scorer in the game, but we've seen a little bit more of that in his last couple seasons where he's added a one-timer uh, to his arsenal and seems to be more of a threat, it seems, uh, to be in the Rocket Richard race. And then Austin Matthews has added a lot to his game as well, and I think he could probably pick up a few skills uh, from Connor McDavid. Maybe he's not going to be skating through four men like Connor McDavid does with regularity. 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 That's a tough one, it seems. But we're seeing more and more of... You know, Matthews dominating with his skating. It's not straight line skating like Matthews, but his edge work and the stuff he does in the offensive zone to create speed from himself for himself at standstills or close to standstills. I think this is, I mean, I'm not attributing that to working with Connor McDavid specifically, but I think both are finding ways to add to their game. And it's cool as different players that they can work together. Uh, it seems like in the off season, maybe get the best out of each other both in practice and in games like the one we saw this week. And just to to put a fine little bow on this conversation and make me the most insufferable person of all time, as you describe these guys, all I can think of is, man, they would play perfectly together. Like Matthews is a guy who loves to carry the puck, but <laughs> who's his favorite guy to play with by all accounts? It's 16 and he loves to carry the puck and McDavid. Hey, yeah, he's got 50. Like he, he has actually done that. Matthews hasn't done it in the league yet, but we know he loves nothing more than playing with guys who can finish. And he's, he's a guy who's a disher and it's just, it's, you know, it's the, we all, I always have the joke of just pencil it in 2026, Connor McDavid signing his deal in Toronto. But man, if there's ever a world and we'll never see it because they're never going to be in the same division, it feels like. They're never going to play on a best-on-best best together. But if there is ever a world where you could get those guys on a, on a power play or even a line at five-on-five five together, it feels like they would so perfectly complement each other. Well, we'll always have Team North America. Uh, oh, but you're we right. Will. I mean, may, maybe the pipe dream scenario down the line, maybe that's perhaps possible. But you're right. Nationality, not the same. I mean, they're in that upper echelon, 1% of players that it's hard to package them together, even though the Maple Leafs have a few of those eight-figure players. But, you know, you'd love to see them on the same team. Sure. I just want to see them on the same sheet of ice. And, you know, we don't see Edmonton Toronto too often. We obviously got it a lot last year. We don't know if we'll see them at the Olympics. I mean, that would be great. We don't know if we'll ever see them in the playoffs because, again, different conferences. So these meetings are special because it's not 
promise these these meetings. We don't see them all the time. So when they do come to fruition, uh, it's worth savoring them. I'm so happy you brought up Team North America's because I think a lot of people roll their eyes at that tournament and like the tournament as a whole. I get it. Canada's playing a best of three final against Andrzej Kopitar, Zdeno Chara, a whole mismatch of European talent. Like I understand looking at that tournament going, what exactly is this? But that Team North America, you know, I, I was lucky. I It's funny, you know, I was in this business, but not really covering things the way I was. And I was just kind of going down as a fan. You can get tickets on StubHub real cheap last minute. I was sitting in the lower bowl for that Team North America-Sweden game. It's Matthew's first time on the ice in Toronto as a Leaf. He's getting Matthew Austin Matthews' chance before the puck even drops. He dangles Hedman from his knees in the first shift of the game for him. He's scores it was just that was an incredible moment and the tournament in and of itself okay we all know what it was but man I that team North America I'm never going to talk stop talking about it and maybe the funniest thing about it is because I've gone back and looked at it and it's the guys who weren't on that team Mitch Marner had yet to play in the NHL, was not on that team. Like, just the talent that ended up getting left off was was kind of just as special. So I uh, any any time someone gives me a chance to talk about Team North America, I will, I will gladly take it. And, you know, actually, I was going to kind of save this for later on, but we're here in the show now, so we might as well do it. How important, let, let's say hypothetically, and again, I'm trying to avoid the COVID boogeyman here. Let's say hypothetically the Olympics just doesn't happen this year. That's, that's the way I kind of personally see it trending, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens happens there let's say it doesn't happen how important is it for the game of hockey to have not for the nhl not for the coffers of the players association to try to play pay down this debt but how important is it for the game of hockey to have a true international best on best i know the world cup happened but like i mentioned it wasn't really a true best on best you had a european all-star team in the final and it feels like we've just gone so long for hockey. You know, soccer would never go this long without having a true best on best. Even basketball has had plenty of these conversations in the meantime. And it's just, it feels like the game is really losing a massive kind of marketing vehicle for it by not having international best on best. And it feels like they need to find a way, whether it's a world cup with actual, no gimmick teams in it. And I love the gimmick teams, but it feels like we really need to have it. Cause it feels like as, as big a star as Austin Matthews is, you want to make him a super duper star, let him go do something that matters for America. And I feel like that's why you need to have one of these tournaments sometime soon. If they don't go to the Olympics. Oh, I definitely agree. I mean, it's hard to quantify, and that's why I think... I mean, if it was easy to quantify, I think the NHL would have the data it needs to push for these things because <laughs> yeah. clearly they would be at least more incentivized to go to these tournaments and and the owners would be more into it because, of course, the owners have one thing on their mind and that's making more money or preserving the money that they do have already, and then they would be more into it. I don't think there's any doubt that the Olympics that we've seen has helped grow the game over the last two, three decades in that, you know, we've seen like, I want to say, I want to say groundswell, but like we've seen a little bit of momentum. Like this game has evolved a lot and is in a much better spot now than where it is. And I think there's a new generation and a new type of hockey fan now that is more analytical and is more involved or uh, interested in the finer things. Like it's, it's, the way that this game has been supported, I think, has changed. And I think the Olympics probably has something to do with that. But you can't fake it. The Olympics are the Olympics. And you're right. The World Cup of Hockey was very cool. I loved it. I think it should remain sort of a novelty and brought back maybe every 
four years on the off Olympic years. I think that's the perfect scenario where you can have an international competition that isn't trying to be something that it isn't, but can work, you know, every four years and every two years in between an Olympic competition. That would be very cool. And I think that's a great way to introduce new talent. And that was a lightning in the bottle scenario because there was so much talent in that moment of time when they were 19, 20, 21, the Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid's of the world. And that was our introduction to Austin Matthews. We had no idea really what he was going to be or what he was going to be able to do against that level of competition. That was our first glimpse of it. And that got this market so, so excited. And I think the same thing would happen if we saw him or Americans and hockey fans south of the border saw Austin Matthews in that big of a moment wearing Team USA on his chest. I think that would be huge for the game. And I think it's naive to think that it wouldn't be huge for the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is detrimental. Just how detrimental, though? We don't know. And that's probably the problem. Yeah, and I think the other thing that adds to it is like you have this thing that kind of, oh man, this is a scary word in COVID times too, but you have this, the fact that ESPN is a broadcaster in the States now, that allows for kind of exponential growth of what a hockey player can be in the States. And you know, look, the diehard, diehard American hockey fan who doesn't love Team USA, they have a team that they love. They all recognize Pat Kane is their guy, okay? But you know who the most popular American hockey player probably is? If you go and look at USA hockey, hockey data it's probably tj oshi because he scored the four shootout goals tj sochi imagine a guy like and now again i kind of don't want this to happen because i personally would like canada to do well at the olympics but imagine a guy like austin matthews having his four shootout goal moment or he scores some big ot winner of tying goal late or something like that and then you throw in the espm machine it just feels like it can really churn and and to go back to the point you made about the world cup of hockey i actually think that's a really good point to kind of as long as you do have the standalone this is the crown jewel this is the real thing that's not the world cup of hockey i think you do keep it as a gimmick because you're right the idea of having a team that is solely designed to say hey here is kind of your short list of guys you should be keeping an eye on over the next two or three seasons that are just starting their nhl career with the with the young guns team i i love that as an as an idea and i i could definitely uh see that happening uh all right, I, I love that little that little uh, that little side road we, we took in international hockey. Uh, it is the least this week. Uh, we talked far too much, and it's my own fault about Austin Matthews doing great things for for America. Uh, we have spoke about him doing great things for the Leafs, but let, let's just kind of drill down on the core four a, as a whole. You know, the next guy I want to talk about is is Tavares. You know, he obviously with the way everything went last year, the end of his season, he was a guy who was on the kind of you know the the downside of an aging curve. You see a player suffer an injury like that you wonder okay what exactly is is happening here what will this player be when we see him again he's at more than a point per game this season if he sticks to that that'd be the first time he did it since his first season as a leaf he's only had a handful of those in in his nhl career where he's been above a point per game this is as good a hockey as we've seen Tavares play and to me what it feels like is for a guy like him he was never going to be you know, sulking or upset that he wasn't the lead option. But I just think it takes a while to kind of realize, okay, there's a lot of other mouths to feed when it comes to the puck here. And it just feels like this season, he has finally just firmly found his, his role on the team as that, as the second line center. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just, I, I thought he's been tremendous this season. Yeah, he has been so, so good. I mean, if there was a list of like, you know, 
macro level concerns for me entering the season. I think John Tavares was near the top of that list because not that he was deteriorating at this like exponential pace, but I felt like, okay, you wasted the first couple years of this aging superstars contract. What is it going to look like and how detrimental to the team is it going to be in the back half? And we are getting, we are in the back half, I believe right now, or, uh, or at least very close to it. Are we in, in year four of seven or are we yes. uh, entering year five? E- either way, like we are looking at, you know, the potential of him falling off. But you're right. This has been maybe his best season. And again, he scored all those goals in year one playing with Mitch Marner was absolutely fantastic. But he is doing it outside of Mitch Marner, which is very, very impressive. But I think the thing is he's adjusted his game. He is a superstar in different ways now. He's a much different player And I feel like he's doing a lot of his dominance within the hash marks and not even having to move his feet that much. His ability to just continue to transfer pucks into scoring areas, even with his feet planted, he's always pushing the puck into the direction it should be. It's almost like there's this magnetic force around John Tavares this year. It's not always looking pretty, but he just finds a way to get the puck into the area, either for himself or for for a teammate, because he's probably not wasting all that energy trying to keep up and trying to be maybe the player that he once was. He's just using his smarts, his, his, his strength, his intelligence and posts in hockey know-how. He's just a different player in that. I don't think he's trying to be something. He's just being that really experienced veteran doing what he knows how to do. And it's really worked out. And, and he's putting himself and his teammates in positions to score constantly this season well and with a guy like him you know even even for a guy who look and we all know the story you know exceptional player status in the ohl at 15 for we think of these guys as kind of all in the same mode you know sometimes we we see mcdavid and we think yep that's what they all were that was never Tavares. he was never a burner the skating was actually and again it feels kind of wild to say about a guy who accomplished everything he did before he got to the nhl but that was an issue going into his draft year was an issue when he went to the Islanders. And I think there were kind of two schools of thought on that. There was one school of thought that I think is kind of proving to be more true now that, well, if foot speed's not an issue and you lose a little bit, you were never getting by because you were blowing by people on the outside. You were never getting by because you were the first guy to a puck. You were getting, and and I think that's kind of proving itself true as opposed to the school of thought of, uh, well, if you lose just a little bit, you didn't have it to begin with. And I think he's just kind of realizing, and not realizing, but it's just your game kind of slowly evolves as, as you as a player age. And it's just, you nailed it there with all of the work inside the hash marks, in tight around the blue paint, cycle work down low, finding a role on that power play. I mean, high tips, low tips, bumper position, kind of whatever you want, he, he's been able to do it. He's been really strong in the face-off dot as well. You know, him and Nylander, I think, is a much more trustworthy connection than a lot of people ever thought anyone and Nylander would be kind of up up high in the lineup. And I think, honestly, that's maybe the most encouraging thing about this. And, you know, this is not to take anything away from Nylander because we'll get to him in a second. He's been tremendous this year as well. But I think we all go back to that first Marner-Tavares season and say, well, it was Marner setting him up all over. You know, I could, I could still hear it ringing from the intermissions in my ears. Oh, there's that Marner point. They love to point him out. And the fact that he's done it, I mean, he's played with Marner a little bit. I'm sure he's assisted on a couple of his goals this year, but it's kind of been a non-factor for him, the play of Mitch Marner. And I think throw in the fact that he he, he has a game that looks like it will age pretty great 
gracefully right now, and they need it to over over the next two seasons beyond this one, and then throw in the fact that he's found kind of another partner on this team. I think those are all things that lead you to believe that this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I think the the partnership with Nylander is very key, and his ability to know where Nylander is going seems to be one of the main sources of offense for this team. I mean, how often we see Nylander springing out and John Tavares putting a perfect pass on his tape for what is either a breakaway or a rush chance from Nylander. Their partnership, very, very important. I think what I was sort of the long-winded explanation for what I was talking about earlier is that the economy of movement, I think, for John Tavares has very has improved uh, exponentially. Uh, you know, these all these fancy stats of how far um, players um, skate in a current in a in a game. Like you get like twenty k yep. or whatever. Kale McCarr just skating miles and miles per game. I think John Tavares would be on the low end of a lot of that because, again, it, the movement is not what sets him apart. It's what he's doing a lot with his feet planted and how he can best use his line mates and I think Nylander and him have really found that connection that's what it was always about you mentioned the you know what we worried about before when he was coming into the league and and what made him you know a great prospect but also one that you know maybe not surefire in in every sense of the word is that he's able to make his line mates better all the time the Matt Molsons who score goals and then disappear in obscurity Nylander and him if they can form a great partnership we know that William Nylander is not Matt Molson, and they can make some beautiful things happen, and that's what's happening this year because I think they have a better understanding of each other, and I think John Tavares has a better understanding of his strengths and limitations this year, and I think that's what's making a big difference. You mentioned the economy of movement. I love that stat. I would love to see a list on that, although I, I'm positive I know who moves the least in any given NHL game. It has to be Zdeno Chara. He was not a guy <laughs> who was super rangy even when he was a young spry man. He's got the longest stick literally allowed in the league. He's got the longest limbs in the league. I guarantee you that guy's taking about seven strides a game, and it's working out just uh, just just fine for him. And yeah, the stuff with Tavares there and, the, and his ability to do stuff from kind of stationary positions – you know, sometimes we roll our eyes at this, that we rush to these comparisons, but man, that sounds like a lacrosse player to me, a guy who's kind of standing around a guy who can't glide. He's got a kind of little shuffle step here, little shuffle step there. Okay. Sprint to win a battle, but yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, amazing how often those skills kind of come out. Uh, we talked about Nylander there. Let's just kind of drill down on him. Uh, I think this has maybe been the most consistent Nylander season. It felt like everybody was kind of going through it in that stretch when the team was going through it. Although he was actually made him and Tavares, were kind of the one bright lights going when the team was really struggling early on in the season. You know, I know there was the moment, I want to say it was in the Chicago game that actually turned, oh no, he scored the OT winner. So it couldn't have been in that one. But there was a game early on in the season where Keith kind of benched him. I think it was against the Kings late. And Nylander himself came out and said, yeah, I did. I'm not going to say I asked to be benched tonight, but I have asked for more accountability from this coaching staff. And I think for a guy who, you know, we all see um, the laid back guy, we think he doesn't care. The fact that he goes to the coaching staff and says, you know what? Sometimes I need the leash pulled on me. I need to be held accountable. I think that's just, we talk so much about maturity, maturity, maturity with this team. Maturity is a lot of things, but I think that's kind of a perfect example of it. And he's matured as a man. You see him physically. And I think he's also matured a lot mentally as well 
Yeah, I mean, on the theme of awareness, right? With John Tavares, maybe more aware of aware of what he is as a 30-something. Uh, we saw the ultimate form of awareness with Paul Maurice pulling the shoot in Winnipeg and <laughs> just believing that he's not the coach for that team or the best coach for that team anymore. And William Nylander may be aware that he needs to be coached a certain way, but I think he's evolved in more than just maybe, you know, the discipline or the or or that part of his game. I just think he's putting it all together. And we saw a moment in that Edmonton win where he just skated away from Connor McDavid with the puck and then had the patience and peace of mind to sort of hold on to it, circle the net, and find one of the other hot Maple Leafs right now in Morgan Riley for a big goal in that game. And that just epitomized sort of what Nylander is capable of. He is an ultra-confident guy, and he's got the skills to match. And that, when that is really firing on sil- on all cylinders, those two things working in conjunction with each other, it makes him one of the most dangerous players in the league. And he's up there in the scoring race, too. He's he's having a phenomenal season, just, just like John Tavares seems to be, and Austin Matthews now coming into it. Uh, William Nylander has is, is, is brought everything this year and continues to grow as a player, which is cer- certainly an exciting thing for Leafs fans. Well, I just imagine hopping in a time machine a couple years ago and saying, uh, they're going to be using Nylander on the penalty kill more. And that's not out of uh, a lack of options. Yeah. That's, I mean, they're missing, and we'll we'll give him credit in, in a second here. Mitch Marner's been a huge part of the penalty kill for this team this season, and it's not lost on me that it struggled without him. But Nylander's not there because they don't have the penalty killers they want. That's a guy they now trust in those instances, and why wouldn't he be? He's strong as a bull. He can win any puck battle he sees to want I mean yeah of course he's going to lose the odd one but it feels like when he sets his mind to it and he wins a race he's going to win that battle and then you throw in you know some puck skills it feels like exactly the kind of guy you want uh killing killing penalties so I think that's just kind of another check mark for for how how this team kind of feels about him all right we've, we've talked about all the other three we, we should probably talk about the guy who has not been a part of this lately and that's Mitch Barter now I I just mentioned it the penalty kill has not looked the same without him. I think that that's an element of his game that he really kind of thrives on. Obviously he thrives on plenty of things, but you know, he he's been uh, you know we've all heard the jokes about how the power play's been without him but i think if we're going to give if we're going to start the conversation we should probably start it with how hampered the penalty kill's been without him because they have decent options on this team you know spets is a guy they throw out there to win draws they have tons of guys who can win draws but marner feels to me like kind of the engine of this penalty kill and and again you'd think i'd be saying that about the power play but he he's been the the straw that stirs the drink penalty killing wise this season for me I think Mitch Marner in some ways is the defensive conscious of this team, which is crazy because this is a guy with Art Ross potential, I think, in a perfect year, playing with Austin Matthews and filling the net uh, under ideal uh, circumstances. But it kind of feeds into one of my other theories, which is that the strength of this team defensively is in its forward group. We know that the um, the defensive core, the six-man unit, has had some issues. We know Justin Hall and, and Jake Muzzin are not performing uh, at the level, at least, that we've seen in the, the last couple seasons, and they're working through some things. And, you know, I don't know if we can completely trust Timothy Liljegren or the, the Rubens, whoever comes up. And Morgan Riley has been very, very good, but he's been, you know, very, very good in an offensive role more mm-hmm. often than not. I think the six-man rotation is working through some things, but this team has still been very good defensively in part because of that partnership with Kampf and Kasha, but also because Mitch Marner is a superb two-way player and so important to that penalty kill. I think the, the elements of team defense, um, you know, the best ones are inside the forward group. And I think it's helped permeate 
other areas of the roster. And when you're out of Mitch Marner and when you have to move Kasha to the top line, those real strengths sort of get diminished a little bit. And we've seen more goals go in on the Leafs, certainly here in the month of December in comparison to November, where they were just completely dominant in that regard. And I think a lot of it has to do with the loss of Marner and the changes that have uh, have occurred in conjunction with that, put a little bit more stress or a little bit more pressure on that top six to perform or that defensive pairing to the six-man rotation on defense to perform. And they are not at the level that they were last year. And it's resulted in more goals going to the back of the net. Now that win over Edmonton was sort of a return to November in that they scored a lot. They didn't allow much, but it wasn't like overly dominant in a lot of ways. It was just one of those November games, right? And I think they're looking for the return to that, to that. But to get there, I think they need Mitch Murder to help lead it. For for sure. And it's it's so funny, the Edmonton game. And a five one beatdown, one of the better games they've played in in the past couple weeks. You're right. A return to the form. But how different is that game if Leon Dreisidel does not miss the completely gaping cage five minutes into it? We know, like, again, this yep. is Leafs this week, but we know the Oilers. Like, we, we accuse this team of being a little front runnery this time. You want to look at some front runners. Go look at the Edmonton Oilers. They get the first goal. They're basically undefeated. They got scored on first. They don't know what to do. And it's just so funny how... It just felt like that was a total that that was it. That's the game right there. They had their chance, and then the, all of a sudden the Le- the Leafs are counterpunching. And man, it's it's amazing how different it could be. But yeah, you're right. Since Marner's been out, you know what I found myself saying a lot when I'm watching these games. When Marner was in the lineup and they were playing the way they did all throughout November, the other teams skating back with the puck, and you're saying oh, that's just fine. Leafs are in great shape. They, they got three men back. They got four men back. It just felt like they were always kind of they they were not giving up these these two on one, three on one rushes. And you know it's not lost on me that the second he is out of the lineup, those things started to come. And I think I think the point you mentioned. Now they didn't go to Kasha in the top six right away, but the fact that he was up there occasionally that removes your kind of defensive conscious line. And all we've done this season, it felt like, you know, as as great as Austin Matthews was, we didn't really start talking about him until the last handful of games. It felt like when the Leafs were rolling, we were talking about Camp and Kasha and Campbell and how good they they the three of them were in kind of being the defensive stalwarts for this team. But yeah, I mean, you don't have Marner in the fold, and that that's definitely going to going to affect things as well. The other thing I'll say about Marner, and it's really about Marner and Nylander, is I'm so happy that everything I say about one guy doesn't have to be an X against the other. I wasn't sitting here <laughs> giving Nylander praise, and I know there weren't Marner people. Go- like we finally just got to a point, I think, in this fan base now where it is they're just they're both great players guys one guy's a little more of a goal scorer the other guy's probably more talented it's just like we've just been able to appreciate them both for what we are and it's not a oh you said something nice about Marner that is an absolute dig at Nylander I know it is it's amazing how long it took us to get there but I think we're finally here well and that reflects probably pretty well on you know how the Leafs are performing we know all their success, despite what Kampf and Kasha have brought, and despite how good Morgan Riley has been, and despite how good and how Vesna-worthy Jack Campbell has been so far, we understand that the four guys are going to take them as far as they're going to go. And to this point this season, with Austin Matthews now scoring, and really, he's been... It could have been a really bad last couple of weeks if Austin Matthews wasn't scoring at the rate he was. Let's be Let's be honest. But he's playing at the height of his game. John Tavares has found a new level of dominance. William Nylander has been terrific since the start of the season. And Mitch Marner is out, and they're feeling that. 
But when Mitch Marner can, returns and he can do the things he was doing before he went out, this is the best position we're going to find the Leafs in when those four guys are playing at the height of their game. And that's really what it all comes down to. Are they performing well? Are they all in the lineup? And that's the best version of the Maple Leafs. Yeah, it really is kind of as simple as that. Uh, the power play has been red hot lately. Why is that if Mitch Marner's not playing? And what do we do with the decor? Uh, still plenty to kick around on the Leafs this week. Justin Cuthbert here alongside me. It's Brent Gunning with you on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Leafs this week, Brent Cunning, special guest, Justin Cuthbert, alongside me here, walking you through everything in Leafs land, trying our best not to talk about the impending doom crushing all of society right now. Uh, but it's the Leafs crushing the entirety of the NHL, in part because of a scorching hot power play. How about that for a segue? Always takes away from it when I mention it, but I'm just so proud of myself. Uh, Austin Matthews, of course, been leading the way. Uh, I think Andre Kasha has actually looked really well, kind of finding a home on that that top unit. But it's just really jarring. You know, we have all kind of sat here watching this team since Mitch Marner's been a part of it going, that guy looks like he needs to run the power play from a half wall. That looks like what he was kind of put on this earth to do. And we know there have been times where it's been that Marner magic and he's been the guy creating. But pretty much, again, like like the team took a hit defensively once he went out, the power play's kind of shot to the moon since he's not been there. Now, I think there's plenty of talent there that it's not about a guy not being there, but it's just a really weird scenario that this team finds itself in where one of the biggest pieces of its core is not there doing the thing he is arguably best at, and that unit is still thriving. Yeah, I mean, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. I think simplicity is key on power plays, and I think these guys have been you know, encouraged to do this and, and do that and then do a little bit of that. And I think when you're always looking for the same things or the same tactics, it can get stale very quickly and it can get figured out very quickly. And when you got a guy like Andre Kasha, who's not going to try to do the martyr things, is just going to be very simple, put his head down and get a puck toward the net. You see it results in a, in a pretty quick goal. Uh, the other night, I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head which game that was, but he steps in. It was, and he the, has it was the Edmonton game. Got it over to Matthews. It was, yeah. the, it was the game. I mean, just very quickly, there's a contribution. Uh, I will say, I think it was it was going really well, uh, if my memory serves correct me correctly, uh, when Jason Spezza was on that. Because as much as like Marner's much more talented at this phase of their career, that stuff, that work on the power play does come very natural to someone like Jason Spezza. And there's a lot of simplicity in his power play game. And I think that's why the second unit, not that it's you know, scoring more than the first unit or has been particularly dominant, but you can literally build a power play around what a 37, 38 year old veteran because he knows how to do very, very simple things. Just create a basic level of chance in, in those scenarios. And there's been some production out of that unit, even though they don't get much, but it's uh, the same principles I think apply. And when you do things simply, and you create stress on the d- defense and get them scrambling and moving around as much. That's what creates the openings, not you know passing around at or, you know around the around the perimeter waiting for that perfect seam pass. I do think they've uncovered a better tact in that. Um, Mitch Marner is not playing on the half wall as much, and we've seen Nylander slide into that position just because the threat of Marner, even though he desperately wants to be a shot for his goal scorer. It's just not in his capabilities and him below the goal line. I think that's his best spot. And that unit should be very, very 
dangerous when it's at full strength, but you could lean a little bit more into that simplicity. I think that would do that number one unit when it's healthy a lot of good. Yeah, I think I think the simplicity of it is is really really key. I think the thing that you know I hate talking about this guy like he he's a child. He's entirely capable of sitting down watching this himself and figuring it out. But if he's not, somebody on the coaching staff needs to sit Mitch Marner down or the unit as a whole down and say the reason this is working is because the puck is snapping around. No one's holding it. No one is sitting there holding the puck, trying to suck in a defender and give themselves a better passing lane because they know where they want to go with it. They're taking what's available to them. And then again, when the least talented player on a power play unit is Andre Kasha, no offense. And guess what? Once Mitch Marner's healthy, he's not even going to be there. So once the least talented member, I don't know, Morgan Riley's the least talented guy all of a sudden on that PP1, boy, that's a pretty high floor. There is nobody. You can't quickly move the puck to who's going to make a good decision who's going to do something with it so it's just that quick quick decision making and then I think of course the other aspect of it and you you mentioned it there with Marner kind of being down below the dot is a much better spot for him is Matthews and Nylander are able to find each other for the seam pass because guys have to have their sticks in shooting lanes as opposed to in passing lanes like it's just kind of that simple and Marner is as good as anybody in this game has been I don't know over the past decade at kind of walking guys around and opening up passing lanes for himself but the only way to do that unfortunately is to hold the puck and move your body position and kind of contort yourself in ways which on a lesser talented team is probably the way you should go about it just letting somebody as talented as Marner cook but when you have the talent that this group has he needs to, they need to realize that the way to do it is these quick quick decisions and i firmly believe like, he's not he's not stupid he's watched hockey his whole life like the rest of us he's played it at a way higher level than any of us he i'm sure sees that as well and and realizes that and i'll be i'll be curious to see how the unit looks when he comes back cuz guess what they can keep scoring at a 40% clip or whatever it's been over the past 10 games the second Marner's healthy, he's going back on power play one. Like, I firmly believe that. I don't I don't see a world where even as good as this unit's going, there's a world where they say, what if we give Marner his own unit? Not happening. He's 100% back on power play one. You, you agree with me there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even think Andre Kasha was power play two before no. this recent <laughs> promotion, right? So this is a guy who hasn't historically been in those situations, and yet... You know, just the, just the basic, you know, outside of power play strategy, strategy being that just your instinctual offensive zone, uh, you know, middle six intuition is sometimes the best play. And I, I do think that these, because the talent is so there and the floor is so high, as you mentioned, there's this expectation that it should be more than just that basic intuition sort of play that you would have if you were not that high-end skilled player, when really there are elements of that and what exists beyond the power play that should be applied to power play situations. And I think we've seen proof that that's true recently, and that's one of the reasons why this power play time and time again doesn't quite give us what we think it can. 
Yeah, and uh, you you mentioned power play too there. And look, any any unit in the league loses, uh, you know, two guys off of it, it's going to look pretty different. But man, you uh, turn Rasmus Sandin into Jake Muzzin and Jason Spezza into somebody else, Ilya Mikheyev or whoever it may be. Man, that unit is night and day. And I I actually don't hate the idea. Like, I can see a world where people are saying, oh, why not give Lilligren a chance to power play that unit? Or if Dermot's healthy, get him in the mix there. Uh, I think not the worst idea to have a solid defensive presence in in Jake Muzzin back there who is not going to try to get too cute at the blue line. He's not going to try to sauce something across. I I do like the idea of, well, this team is a little banged up and that second unit looks the way it is. Uh, I understand the idea of, well, there's more offensive blue liners on the team. Yeah, but you need to have somebody who's going to make sure you don't get burned. And I have liked Muzzin back there, even though he doesn't really give that unit much of anything. Well, there's nothing more illustrative on this team that the Maple Leafs aren't a roster structured to just be offense, 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 offense. Mm-hmm. Because after power play one, it is <laughs> it, there are basically no options in terms of scoring. I mean, this is not a team built on one thing. This is a team that is looking for a lot of balance with its forward group. There are as many defensively focused players as there are offensively focused players and I think we need that reminder sometimes because this thing in our head about what Kyle Dubas wants and what Sheldon Keefe wants as this dominant puck possession attack-minded sort of group that's not really the case this is a team with a a pretty clear divider between offense and defense and after that first unit yeah you're right it, it, it drops off pretty sharply Yeah, you're right. It is a kind of complete delineation. And I think we kind of get thrown off a little bit because we think of Spezza as that fourth line center. And it's like, oh, Spezza, I mean, the guy's putting up 35 points. It's like, yeah, what else is going on down there? Not not a whole lot in terms of uh, offensive output. Although I think Camp and Kasha have uh, have surprised. Well, maybe not Kasha, but Camp, I think, has looked a little more offensively adept than I think I expected. But I also think that he only looks like that when he's playing with Kasha. Like, it's amazing what a connection for two players can do, and that's kind of jumped out for me. Uh, you, you mentioned the decor of this team. Uh, the biggest conversation about it has been that that second pair, Muzzin and Hall. This was a group, or, or that was a pair that were stalwarts for them in the bubble last season. Everybody with their old Justin Hall, you know, the McDavid stopper jokes uh, when they went in Edmonton and nearly shut the oil out three times. And that pair has really struggled. You know, I think we've talked about the blue lines struggles this year but it's really just been kind of that pair I mean Riley and Brody were going through it when the team was going through it but since then they've been back to what they were last year I think throw Dermot into the mix with what you've seen of Sandine and Lilligren and I think for guys who are your fifth sixth and seventh defensemen I think you're really really happy with what you've got out of them and it's just you have this second pair that I don't know I don't quite know what to do with I've liked the move of bumping Lilligren up and seeing okay what's what does Muzzin look like with a different partner and what's Lilligren look like with with somebody outside of Sandine but I I think that's going to be maybe the biggest kind of roster construction question for this team as we march towards the playoffs yeah it's definitely been the most puzzling thing about this Leafs season is that Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall they're just having like a a horrible time it seems doing simple things like how often do we see Jake Muzzin just loosely tossing a puck Mm -hmm. in front of his own net from behind his net uh you know in a defensive capacity or Justin Hall just fumbling away a puck while skating through neutral ice. I mean, we just didn't see these things happen. And I think it really, I I think it's playing off each other, their struggles, and it's sort of exasperating the issues. 
But I do think it comes down to Justin Hall, and there's just not much margin for error for this this player. I mean, he's not fast. He doesn't handle the puck extremely well. So if he loses a half step or is hesitant or indecisive for that half second, it can result in some really poor moments. And I think that's what's happening. And with that, it you know it extends to Muzzin, who might have to think he's got to do this or that just to cover for what is a, a struggling player. And that combination has not worked out. So when you have Lilligren moving up, do I think that's a long-term answer? No, I don't. I feel like if there's any obvious issue with this team or something that needs to be addressed, it is that right shot, second pairing defenseman. There's Clearly there can be an upgrade there because I just don't think you want to put too much on Lilligren's plate. But the fact that he's been able to tread water far more effectively than Hall, it's it's pretty clear that this is a player in Hall who's struggling and is a little bit too in over his head in that position that he's in right now. Could he find that confidence? Could he regain that half second or that half step? Perhaps. But maybe this is a player that is what he is at this point. Uh, and, uh, you know, we talked about declines or the trajectory of careers. This guy's played a lot of hockey in, in his in his route to get to the NHL. And maybe he's on the back end of it because he was never surefire. And he just found like a niche within the Leafs. But if you lose a little bit, can you still fill that niche? And I think that's the question that's uh, probably on Justin Hall's mind. And certainly for those who are designing what could be a postseason roster. Yeah, that that's the question for me. I, I agree with you that you have to be really, really careful in piling too much on on Lilligren's plate. I love the way they've brought him in here. This is a guy who's been flirting or floating around the system for seemingly forever with with this team. And I think it was really smart to kind of say, hey, get your feet wet, play him with the guy you've known your whole life in Sandine. You guys spend the summers together. You skate together. You can literally speak Swedish to each other out there if that makes it any easier on you. I think it was really smart, but I do think, and I think for a team like the Leafs that – I want to be clear. This is not a group that can take their foot off the gas by any means. You need to keep the pedal all the way to the floor until the playoffs because we've seen with this team, when they ease up a little, there there doesn't seem to be going from 100 to 80. It's like from 100 down to zero, it seems like, with this team in the past. So I don't think you can take your foot off the floor, but I do think by building a little bit of the – now, you don't have a cushion in the division, but you do have a cushion for a playoff spot that I do think you can kind of use an extended period a time to say, okay, just what is Timothy Lilligren? And I honestly think that was going to happen, especially with Sandine out, but now we have the, and and here's where we'll finally talk about it with just a couple minutes left in the show. Now that we have the uncertainty of COVID and who knows how many games they'll get in, you know, from a least perspective, hey, they're not going to have to play games without Marner. Spetz's, uh, uh, the appeal thing actually worked out for him. Sandine, you know, this is a week that they played one game that is one of those two to three weeks that, that he's good to be out for so in some respects it's really a, a great thing for them that they've been able to kind of have this the light schedule that they've had but I do wonder if it kind of robs them of a chance to well their hand was a little bit forced really see what they have in Lilligren knowing that it's not stuck in stone let's say it does it doesn't work with Muzzin over the next couple of weeks saying that's okay we know we have Sandine in the fold we know Dermot's here we can go back to Hall I think it would have been a kind of great little runway for them to test out exactly what they have because I think at a certain point you just have to say okay you're not a third pair guy anymore let's see what you are now maybe the move with that is to throw him into a second pair with Sandine 
because that's a guy he's more comfortable with. But I do think at a certain point, you have to find out what exactly you have in Lilligren. Because I think they're pretty sure on, on, on Sandine. But Lilligren is the, he still feels like the mystery. And I don't think he's going to be that top four guy this year. But I'm, I'm not completely ruling it out either. Yeah, I mean, that's why I wouldn't be in a rush to make that move. I think that move is required, but do I want to do it as soon as possible? No, because I think there is some runway there. You mentioned keeping your foot down on the pedal. I agree with that, but I also think this is some pretty valuable time to see what Timothy Liljegren can be. But but as much as you want to have that time and maybe not rush it, you can't lull yourself into a false sense of security and believe, okay, he's played pretty well this is going to translate to the postseason. I think that would be foolish as well. So I think this is valuable time, and there's going to be time. I don't know what's going to happen here with COVID, but it looks like the league is going to try to push through as much as possible. A league like the NFL looked at it, I guess, like more of an opportunity to dominate every night over the next four or five (laughs) nights to make sure that they have their programming optimized. So I think they're all going to follow the leader. The leader seems to be the NFL. I I think for a variety of reasons here, they're going to try to push through. Uh, I think the owners want to make their money. I think the players want to still have the Olympic opportunity open. And if you cancel games or or postpone every every you know everything in the next week or so, I think you put all that to je- in jeopardy. So I think they're going to trudge through. That means more Lilia Grin probably and a little bit more uh, knowledge about what they have and maybe what they need once we do hit the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, well, well, well said, Justin. I, I agree with all that. Honestly, uh, tons of fun having you in with me this week. Uh, always love when we get to uh, chop it up. If the Leafs season continues, and we think it will, we think. Who knows? Hey, Thursday Thursday might as well be 10 years away uh, from now. But they, that's their next scheduled game at home against the Blues. Fun little 2 o'clock start. Get you set for the holiday season. I'm sure the Blues are terrified having to cross over that border before Christmas. Uh, but, hey, good luck with that, uh, Justin. As I said, tons of fun. Thanks so much for joining me this week man uh thanks for having me that is a tough one though there are a lot of christmas presents have been rescinded because they've had to cancel a lot of those tickets so uh hopefully there's a game hopefully we'll be able to watch hockey a couple days before christmas and i appreciate being able uh to have the opportunity to chat leafs with you today there is justin cuthbert uh yahoo sports you can find all his work there that's been the leafs this week i'll be back uh doing plenty of leafs this week with gord stelic three to five all week on the fan of the leafs as we mentioned we think back in action on thursday against the blues thanks so much for listening to the leafs this week on sportsnet 590 the fan